I don't know why, but uh, this Easter season, for some reason, I felt led as um, as we've gone through these weeks to talk about the reason behind uh, Christ's work, not just the fact of what He's done, but also uh, the purpose behind it and some of those things that He's accomplished. And you remember that we uh, talked some weeks ago about uh, the new covenant that Christ entered, uh, ushered in and how He uh, uh, He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, and, and it's a, a new covenant, a better covenant, one that's written on tablets of our heart instead of the tablets of stone. Um, then he, uh, we also looked in the book of Romans how... Uh, he accomplished some things on the cross, namely that while we were helpless, wicked, enemies of God, that uh, Christ died for us, the, the godly for the ungodly, in order to reconcile us to God. Today we're going to look at the resurrection and what it was that he accomplished. Of course, last week was Easter Sunday, and so we looked at the fact of the resurrection. You remember I had kind of a little uh, acrostic or something, maybe help you... Uh, remember some of those points if you ever get into some kind of a conversation with somebody that uh, doesn't believe in the resurrection or has questions about it. Maybe you could remember some of those things. Remember we looked at the fearful disciples, the astonishing details, the countercultural uh, declaration, and then the transformed disciples. I was hoping I'd remember all, uh, all those letters since I said that. Um, but today we're going to look at Paul's letter to the, to the Corinthian believers. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we're going to go below the surface of the resurrection. Yes, it's an historical fact. Yes, it was unique in the history of the world. It did happen, but what did it accomplish besides getting Jesus out of the tomb? Well, as with other topics, sometimes I kind of wish that the Bible would just give us, you know, a heading and subheadings with all the details of things that we that we could know. That way we could reference it, cross-reference it, uh, look it up, and it, it, it would just be real handy that way. But in the end, that would be kind of like a textbook. And did anybody ever read a textbook when you're in, in school? Okay, two people, and they're both in school now, so you're probably uh, doing very well in school. I never read my textbook because, man, they were, they were incredibly boring. And so uh, the Bible is not a textbook. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I'm happy about that, aren't you? Because I don't, do, I don't do well reading textbooks. But on top of that, we sometimes get to thinking that the Bible and Christianity is over here in this part of our lives, and everything else is over here, and never the twain shall meet. But the Bible, the way it presents things, Paul and, and uh, the different writers, many times they are writing letters to people or to, or to churches that address problems. And so we get this, this theology that's not just meant to fill dusty tomes for the educated scholars off in some seminary somewhere, but rather uh, this is how our faith intersects with life. And that's going to be the case today. Now, I want to preface our text today because Paul is writing to a messed up church. I mean, the Corinthian church had lots of problems. They had all kinds of immorality going on. Uh, there were people who were teaching wrong stuff. In fact, they were denying the resurrection. Not the resurrection of Christ, just saying that the resurrection doesn't happen, that people don't, uh, aren't going to stand before God one day. And, and, uh, and Paul is writing to correct a lot of stuff that's going on. And when he gets to 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing to counteract what these people are teaching about the resurrection. Now, when he's doing this, understand he's talking about the principle of resurrection. And he applies it to Christ, and, and in doing so... He lays out some stuff that uh, shows us if Christ hadn't been raised, this is what would happen. But Christ has been raised, and so there are some certain things that are true. And so what I want us to do, and, and we're not going to look at everything that Christ accomplished. I want us to look at what Christ accomplished with the resurrection. 
So if you found 1 Corinthians 15, please stand with me in honor of God's Word. <coughs> if you don't have uh, a copy of God's Word with you, uh, the text should be up on the screen. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. That means they passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by, <clears throat> excuse me, but, but, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored, labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he is raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ, is not being, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who, believe, who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to, God the Father, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our passage is in verse 3 is that Christ's resurrection is an essential tenet of the Christian faith. His resurrection is an essential tenet of the Christian faith. In other words, the resurrection is not a small matter. It's not something that you can say, well, you know, uh, there are secondary matters in the faith. There are some things where you say, well, um, that's not really an essential. If you have that opinion, if you understand the text this way, that's fine. I'll understand it this way. We can agree to disagree. The resurrection is not one of those things. If you look at verse 3, again it says, He delivered unto them... Uh, what was uh, as of most importance what he received. Now, if you're reading the King James, you'll, you'll notice that it says that he delivered to them uh, the, what was first of all. Now, if you read that, you might be tempted to think he's speaking of chronology, that when he showed up in Corinth, the first thing that he started talking about was the resurrection. And it's, it's quite probable that is one of the first things that he told them about because uh, when you read the book of Acts, you remember uh, Peter and the, the other apostles and, and the disciples, they were all gathered together. And uh, at Pentecost, they stood up and started preaching. And, and the first thing that they started saying was Christ rose from the dead. And so that was probably one of the first things that Paul said. But that's not the, that's not the idea behind the, these words here. The idea behind his words is that he told them the things that were most important. 
And what were they? Well, if you'll, if you'll look at verse, uh, uh, verses 3 and 4, you'll see that you can kind of put them in bullet form based on actions, based on the verbs. And there are three things. First, he died for our sins. Second, he was buried. And third, he was raised. So, in the, so, so the resurrection is one of the cornerstones of the faith. Now, there are people, uh, even people who stand, in, stand up in front of people at a church, they call themselves preachers or pastors or whatever, they claim to proclaim the gospel that don't believe in the resurrection. But listen, you can write it down. The gospel without the resurrection is not the gospel because the good news without the resurrection isn't good news at all because Christ hadn't conquered death. And if, if but, but what, so Paul, Paul makes this kind of like a what if. But what if that's true? What if Christ really hasn't been raised? Well, let's look at some of these outcomes. <clears throat> look at verse 14, about halfway through. He says, he starts a new section. He says, or I guess it's all of 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, and then he lists off a whole bunch of things. First he says, preaching is vain. Preaching is vain. There are many people today, today who say preaching is vain. It's, it's empty. That's what that word vain means. It's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. But the, out, the first outcome of Jesus rising from the dead, of, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, is preaching is vain. Now what that means is the apostles, when they stood up to preach, their, their whole basis for doing it was Christ risen from the dead. The, the bulk of their message, again, you look at the book of Acts, that's what they preached. Jesus rose from the dead. Christ and Him crucified. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, really what they're saying is a big sham. It's just a waste of time. There's no point in even listening to Him. Second, he says, that if Jesus is still in the tomb somewhere in desert Palestine, their faith is worthless. And I will say today, your faith is worthless, and mine is too, if Jesus is still dead. Now, what does it mean that our faith is worthless? What does it mean that it's vain? Well, look in verse 17. He says in verse 17, very plainly, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. That's what it means that our faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. So how does that work? How does Jesus still being in the tomb mean that we're still in our sins? Well, our salvation is based on faith in a risen Savior. You, if Jesus is still dead... If he can't overcome death for himself, how's he going to overcome death for you? In fact, if Jesus is still dead, how can he do anything for you? He's dead. He can't do anything if he's dead. But that's the point. Jesus is alive. And so, remember, the wages of sin is death. And if Jesus died on the cross and he didn't come back to life, he's no better than you or me. Because we're all going to die, for, uh, we're all going to die because uh, the wages of sin is death. And part of that, yes, it's talking about spiritual death, but part of it is physical death. And if Jesus is still in the tomb, that means he died like an ordinary man. And just like you can't save anybody, I can't save anybody. If Jesus didn't come, come back from the dead, he can't save anybody either. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, and if you look at verse uh, 15, there's something else. We are false witnesses about God. We're false witnesses about God. That means that every time we say, we tell, we affirm that Jesus rose from the dead, that means we're telling a big lie about God. And they say, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That seems like maybe one of the, the least severe things. <clears throat> well, let's put the shoe on the other foot. 
What if you were in a court of law and you've been accused of some crime and they called a witness? And that witness got on a stand and their testimony could, uh, was going to be the thing that decided your fate. And even though you'd done a certain thing, they got on the stand and said, they didn't do it. Nope, they, they didn't do that. How do you feel about that? Be pretty upset, right? What, what, if, what if it was the other way around? What if you'd done something, they need to testify that? Or, or eat, they said, well, I'm, I'm getting mixed up, I can't remember which one I said. But we'll just say it either way. If they, did, if they said you didn't do something and you did it, or they said you did something and you didn't do it, you'd be pretty upset, right? That's the way rumors get started. It's taken out of the court of law, in the workplace, in the church, in, in the home, wherever it is. Somebody goes telling stories about you. How do you feel? You're mad. And if we realize that it's wrong to falsely testify about somebody when it's a person, how much greater of a sin is it? How much worse is it when people falsely testify about God? And Paul says, if we go around saying God raised Jesus from the dead and he didn't do it, we're lying about God. I kind of butchered that point, but hopefully you got it. And finally, in verse 18, we get the last thing that he says. He says, if Christ is not raised, Christians who have died have gone to hell and not to heaven. Look what he says. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's what perish means. It's talking about eternal torment. Remember, if you trust in Christ, and he's all, but, but he's still dead, you're still in your sins. You're condemned. The same thing that would be true of you would be true of any other person who's trusted in Christ. So you think about that. That, uh, that godly saint. Don't, and we can all think of those people. There were just godly people in our lives, right? I mean, maybe it's an, an older person. Maybe it's uh, a preacher. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. But I mean, they were just... When you think of a godly person, that was just the person you think of. And if that person has passed away or, or, or they're going to pass away eventually, Paul says, are you willing to say... That that person, that godly saint, you believe that person's in hell right now or is going to hell right now? He says if, if you think that, that, that Jesus didn't come back from, from the dead, if he's still in the tomb, that's exactly the position you're left with. Not only are, are you going to hell because your faith is worthless, but they're in hell right now. But then in verse 20, Paul just, he just breaks loose. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. It's like, you know what? I'm talking about all this stuff about what if Jesus is dead, what if, what if, what if. And it's like he just couldn't handle it anymore. He, he, just, he just has to say it. Christ is alive. He's risen from the dead. And he just bursts forth uh, with this praise. And, and now because he is alive, uh, all those things that he had just got through saying, the opposites of all those things are true. Well, what does that mean? That means that because Christ rose, our preaching is not vain. Our preaching is not empty. Our faith in Christ is not vain. That means if you put your faith in Christ because he's alive, your faith is not in vain. That means that you'll go to heaven when you die. That means when we say Christ is alive, Christ has risen, and somebody says Christ has risen indeed, that means you're telling the truth about God. You're not lying about him. That means that all those who have died in the Lord have gone on to be with him in heaven. We say we stand at a funeral, we stand at the, the side of the casket, and we talk about, well, I'm just glad they're in a better place. You ever said that, heard that? I'm just glad they're, they're with Jesus finally. They're, they're finally at peace. What a reunion that is. That's all because Jesus rose from the dead. 
as great as those things are. Paul goes on to list even more things in our text. And, and I want you to see in, uh, two things, in, well, one thing in verse 20 and 23, it's repeated. He says, But now Christ has, be, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And again, when he's talking about being asleep, he's not talking about taking a snooze, he's talking about being dead. And then verse 23, he says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ that is coming. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. Now, Hopefully you noticed a repeated phrase, first fruits. So, what does first fruits mean? All right. <clears throat> Anybody read the book of Leviticus? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Because we start out reading the Bible. At Genesis, yeah, we can do that. Exodus, pretty good. We can get them through the Red Sea. Get to the tabernacle. We start losing steam. Leviticus, we want to go to Joshua, right? And, and so we'll read the first part of Leviticus and man, it's, there's all these laws and stuff. It, it just bogs us down. But there's a passage in Leviticus 23 that actually points ahead to Christ. A lot of Leviticus points ahead to Christ. But what we're talking about here is the law of first fruits. And what the law of first fruits said is that on the first, okay, see if I can get this wording right. The day after the first Sabbath of Passover, the farmer was to bring in a sheaf of grain, and, and that time of year it would have been barley. And he was to give it to the priest. The priest would wave it before the Lord. It was an offering of first fruits. Now remember that timing, the, the day after the Sabbath, uh, the day after the first Sabbath of Passover. Remember that day. So he bring in the barley. The priest would wave it before the Lord. And this was, uh, this was to signify three things. Number one, it was to say, you know what, God? Here's my offering to you. I recognize that what I have comes from you. Thank you for this. It's, it's gratitude. It also is saying, all the harvest really belongs to you, God. And third, and this is the most important here, it's saying this is an earnest of what's coming. This is, this is an earnest of what's coming. Now, how is Christ the firstfruits of those who believe, those who are asleep? Remember, Jesus was crucified... Passover. Now what does the Bible say? The day after the Sabbath, when Sabbath was over, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the women went to the tomb. So here we have the law pointing ahead to Christ. Now, how does, how does Jesus fulfill this shadow that we have in the Old Testament? Well, first, he's saying, you know what? All the harvest of Christians, all those who are going to be resurrected, those who put their faith in me, they all belong to God. And most importantly here, his resurrection is an earnest of the harvest to come. Now, what do I mean when I keep saying it's an earnest of what's to come? Did anybody grow up on a farm? A few of you did. Uh, or in a place where maybe they raised uh, crops? <clears throat> I grew up on a farm where we had a few animals. And we had a few uh, few crops that we'd raise, and so I can identify with this because here's what here's what it was in my context. We'd be out in the field, combine back and forth, back and forth, and you'd have to sit there and wait and talk and and visit, and finally you'd fill up the grain truck, the old ton truck, and we'd get in, we'd head to town, head to Wayne City to the elevator. That's where the grain elevator was. Then we'd wind around all those roads. 
And finally, we get up. They, they had a platform out there at the grain elevator. And on the platform, there would be a, a person standing that would have a long tube, a long metal tube that have uh, gaps in it. And they'd stick that tube down in your, down in your grain. They'd open the tube up. They'd go in, and they'd dump that in your bucket or in a bucket. And they'd do that in several different places in your, in your grain truck. They'd send that in uh, to the office, and they would test that to see moisture content, you know, if had any weeds in it, all those things that they test for, try to uh, pay you less money for. What that was saying is, now they're not going to test how many bushel you brought. What they're saying is, this sample is representative of all the load that is brought this time. All this load is going to look like that. Now, hopefully, you know, if hopefully they stuck it in a, a dry part or something like that. But, you know... By and large, that's a pretty good way of testing, right? It's an earnest of what's coming. Maybe you don't have that agricultural background, and I describe that to you, and you still don't know what I'm talking about. If you've ever put down a down payment for a car or a house or something like that, you know what an earnest is. That's a down payment. Because what are you saying? You're saying, why don't you go ahead and sell me this house? Why don't you go ahead and sell me this car? Here's some money. I'm, I'm good for the rest. There's more of that. There's more where that came from. And what's coming is going to be like this. In other words, if I'm buying a house from Mary Ann and I give her a $100 down payment, I guess she's selling me a, a really cheap house. If I give her a $100 down payment, I'm not saying, here's a $100 down payment and I'm going to start paying you in chickens. It's saying, I'm going to pay you in cash and it's going to be like this. There's more where this came from. That is what Christ's resurrection is. It is first fruits. It's in earnest. It's saying... This is what everybody's resurrection is going to be like. We're going to have glorified bodies and a lot more where this came from. I'm just the first fruits. I'm just a sample of all the stuff that's coming. That means that if you are a Christian, one day you're going to live in heaven, in the presence of God, in a glorified body, immortal, victorious, just like Jesus. And I think that's pretty awesome, personally. There's going to be a harvest to follow. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. He's saying there's more where this came from. So that's one thing that Christ's resurrection accomplished. But also, this wasn't in our text today, but it is very important. If you look down at verse 32, about halfway through that verse, um, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses here just in closing. But I'll start at the beginning of the verse just... I don't know why, but just, that's the way I like to do things. He says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts of Ephesus, what does it profit me? And here's where I want us to pick up. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that if, if the dead are not raised, if Christ didn't rise from the dead... That means we're not going to rise from the dead. That means you might as well just live it up. If this life is all that we have, if the grave is the end, then why deny yourself and follow Christ? Why live a godly life? Why deny your appetites? Just live it up, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But Christ has been raised, and because of his resurrection, we have a purpose for godly living. One day you're going to stand before God and give an account of your life. I like the way one commentator put it. He says, Paul makes morality 
turn on the hope of immortality. Is he not right? Witness the breaking of moral ties today when people take a merely animal view of life. And boy, can't you see that? You, you look at people who say, well, we just came from monkeys. We, you know, our, our ancestors monkeys, evolution, all this, that, and the other. They say there is no God, uh, there, there is no afterlife, and they live like the devil. But when you realize one of these days I'm going to have to give an account for what I'm doing, that's going to change the way that you live, or it should, if you have a right view of things. Folks, the resurrection is a fact, but it's more than that. It's meaningful. If Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain, you're wasting your time today, you're not going to heaven, nobody, nobody that you love who's put their faith in Christ is going to heaven, you don't have any reason to live godly lives, but thank God Christ is risen indeed. I like the way one preacher put it. I'll mention this in closing. He said, if the cross is the payment for our sins, the empty tomb is the receipt, showing that the perfect Son of God made perfect payment for our sins. The payment itself is of little good without the receipt. And I thought, man, that is, that is a great statement. Because I go to places, if I pay, but I want a receipt. I want, especially if it's, a, if it's something that I paid a lot for, I want documentation. I want a receipt that shows I did it, don't you? And the, the empty tomb is the receipt that Jesus died and rose again. He accomplished the work of salvation. How much did it cost? It cost him his life. That's a pretty high price. And we've got a receipt, the empty tomb. I want you to stand with me as uh, musicians come. And as you stand, I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just with nobody looking around, maybe you're here today and you have never experienced the resurrection firsthand. And I'm not saying you've gone to, to Jerusalem. I'm not saying that you were there, that you've been raised from the dead. I mean, have you ever had an encounter with the risen Christ? Have you ever confessed your sins, repented of them, and asked God for forgiveness? That's what the resurrection is really all about. It's about Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose again on the third day. And because of that, we can be forgiven. We can go to heaven. But only to those who believe. And if you've never done that, today is the day that you should.